Amazing Grace Kona welcomes you to today's lesson from Pastor Izzy Manzo. Our prayer is that today's lesson will spiritually feed and uplift you. Now, here's Pastor Izzy. Well, good morning, guys. Would you grab your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Mark chapter 8? The Lord had asked the disciples when he was walking with them, he had told them, I'm, I'm going to go now and be beaten and be crucified. I'm going to die for you guys. And Peter's response was, no, no, by no means, Lord. You, don't do that. That's a bad idea. Before he had said that, he had had another really good revelation when Jesus asked the disciples, who do men say that I am? And they said, oh, some of them say you're like, you know, Elijah or, or John the Baptist. You're one of the prophets. You know, you're a pretty good spiritual guy. I'm just summing up, okay? This is like a modern paraphrase for you. But that's what they said. And, and Jesus asked, who do you say that I am? And do you remember who Peter responded? What did he respond? You are the Christ, the Messiah. In Hebrew, Mashiach, the, the one sent to save. You're the, like literally the, the Savior sent to save us. So Jesus said, good job, Peter. Flesh and blood did not reveal that to you. My Father in heaven, he, he revealed that to you. Now, Peter, I can just see his chest swelling up. And, Did you hear that, guys? I, I'm tapped in, you know? I had a revelation from the big guy. I, I'm, I'm meeting him. We're tight. And then Jesus went on and told him, now I have to go die. I have to suffer and, and, and be crucified, rejected. And what was Peter's next revelation? No, Lord, that's a bad idea. You know, that's going to cut into our free lunch program that we've been doing with you for the last three years, you know. But, and, and Jesus answered Peter. He said, get thee what? Behind me, Satan. You know, Peter went from having a revelation from the heavenly throne of God to one from the pit of hell. Some people don't catch these things. They, they, and personally, okay, just for me, just the fact that the apostle Peter, now when you're raised like I was, Italian, Roman Catholic family, you know, kind of raised real entrenched that Peter's an important guy. He was like the first pope, and although he didn't know he was because they didn't make him a pope till 300 AD. But anyway, <laughs> but you kind of get this, you're, you're, it's drilled into you to have respect for the apostles, you know, and just you know, for, for Jesus and, and, and the whole thing, what he's done. And it never really hit me that here's the first Pope who has one good revelation. I mean, really good. You're the Messiah. You're the Savior. That's the best revelation. That I mean, he goes, flesh and blood did not teach you that, Peter. My Father in heaven taught you that. He revealed that to you. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm tight with him, man. Me and him, yeah, we got a we got a thing here. And the next thing you find out, he's picking up the line from downstairs. When Jesus says, now I got to go die for you, he says, no, you don't. No, no, bad idea. And Jesus' answer to him was very, I mean, I don't know about you, but how would you, they didn't really point this out in Catholic Church. They, I didn't ever hear, this is in the Bible, Mark chapter 8, but I didn't hear it at church. They left this out. Because I have to be honest with you, when, when I realized that Peter, even Peter, could go from having a really good heavenly revelation one moment to having one from the dark side, 
I mean, that's really bad, you know, to, to tell Jesus the guy sent, sent to die. Remember, Jesus said, I didn't come to condemn the world, I came to save it. But in order for Christ to be the Mashiach, the Savior, he had to come and die. He had to be that, that perfect lamb. That requirement of the, you know, all those Old Testament sacrifices, every time they sinned, they had to give up this animal and, and they had to confess their sin on that animal and then that animal had to die. That was all a shadow, a type, the Jews call it, to teach us that sin costs. The wages of sin is what? Death. It, it costs death. And the Jews were taught the life is in the blood. So in order to cover for death, you had to, what covering? What's the right covering? The life, the blood. And that's why when John the Baptist saw Jesus come, he said, behold, the Lamb of God, the sacrifice. That's the, that's the guy to take away the sins of the whole world. Now he's telling his disciples, I have to go die now. It says they didn't understand it. Luke tells us it was hidden from their, from their understanding. Even though he's telling them plainly, he hadn't yet died. And they're just kind of like, we don't think this is a good idea, Jesus. You know, you dying, that's going to put a crimp in the whole meal program and where we're going to sleep at night. Because, you know, everything for the last three years, who's been calling the shots? Jesus. I don't know if you realize this, but I mean, literally, he's been directing them for the last three years into every meal, every provision has been because Jesus was, was their leader. Now the leader's going to go. And we saw, as soon as this talk of him going, what did the boys start doing? What, they, they had a little argument. Because Mark tells us what Jesus' response was. Luke's the one who tells us, and after he told them this, they began to um, kind of say, you know, which one of us is going to take over? You know, which one of us is the greatest? I've been with him the longest. No, I've been with him. And Mark, Mark compresses that part. He just goes to what Jesus' answer was. You guys are all arguing which one to use the greatest. But he tells them in verse 34, he summoned them in uh, the multitude with his disciples. And he said, if anyone wishes to come after me, this is Mark 8, 34. If anyone wishes to come after me, what do you have to do? Three things. Deny yourself, pick up a cross, and come follow me. And he says, for whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and for the gospels, he shall save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? He says, for what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? And so for whoever, he says, is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous, gen sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the, in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. These guys, they're all arguing which one's the greatest, and he's saying, um, guys, you gotta, it's not about you. You got to deny yourself. Now, in Luke's gospel, it'll tell him, you have to learn to be the servant of all. I'm glad it says learn to be, because I don't think we really start off knowing or doing it right. But, but if you follow Jesus' example, you can learn. You can learn how to be a servant. And because Jesus said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. Remember, at the last Passover meal, and while the supper's going on, 
They've been walking the road to get to the to to the upper room where they had the the Last Supper, and they're all arguing which one's going to take over when the boss is gone. And while they're still go they're still going at it at the table. Okay, I don't know if you read the 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 uh, the gospel accounts, but they're actually still having this conversation. So Jesus, he just gets up from the table, takes us, lays aside his 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 outer garment. You know what they call the the when you strip for work, you you just you, you don't wear your good clothes. You put just the the t-shirt and stuff underneath. We'd call it. And he takes off the outer robe, and he takes a towel and he girds himself. It says that means ties it around his waist, and then he gets a basin of water and he starts washing their feet. And as he's washing their feet, he's telling this is the lowliest of jobs. Think back to those days. Okay, there's no paved roads, all dirt roads and. Some of the boys were pointing out, and not only is it dirt, but the sewer system wasn't what we consider today where it's all underground. It was just along, yeah, the people just throw the bowls out onto the street. So you stepped in that stuff. And Jesus comes and begins to, the, the lowest servant job. I mean, you, you didn't want to be the lowest servant in the house because guess who gets to do the foot washing? You. You know, he's going to, that's your job, you know, and they come in dirty and, and they got them, them sandals, you know, and they take them off. And here he is, Jesus is taking them off and washing their feet. And he says, now, if I'm the leader, I'm the Lord, the master, and I wash your feet, what should you do for one another? I mean, they had it all backwards. They're thinking, I'll be the greatest. They'll all serve me. And Jesus says, I am the greatest. Flat out, man, there was no question. But he never did that, like, boastfully. He said, I'm the master, and if I'm the master and I serve you, what should you guys do? Peter's like, oh, Lord, don't wash my feet, you know. Jesus says, if I don't wash you, I have no part with you. You need me to wash you. Okay, give me a bath, Lord, head to toe. He goes, look, if you bathe, you only need to wash your feet, he says. He knew that, there's a spiritual analogy there too, guys, that he had already bathed them. He had already made them. He's making them clean. But there's this thing that our feet come in contact with this world. And so the Lord says, we just got to keep that cleansed. You know, this constant contact we have with this world. We have to be really careful that we, we let the Lord wash that off. Just keep us clean. She said, I have to do that. He's like, all right. Now, Peter would go on to be a servant of the Lord, wouldn't he? But he, but he didn't start off with that mentality. He didn't understand. And Jesus, I love how the Lord works with us, right where we're at. I, I can't emphasize enough that in these days what we live, God is being made kind of like a mystery, like he's um, this well, this thing, this way off yonder. He doesn't even care. He's uh, like floating out in the cosmos beyond the universe, and he doesn't have any. He doesn't even know what our day's like down here. But the scripture says that the Lord knows us intimately. Our heavenly father knows, it says, even the very number of hairs that are on our head. I don't even know the number of hairs on my head. You know, and as you brush there, I always wonder, as I'm brushing and you look and there's some in the brush, you're like, does he say there went number 872 and 1131? And does he renumber them all? Or, or, or just that he just knows the total number and he's keeping track. I mean, 
if anyone could keep track, it's the Lord. And it just, to have this understanding that the scripture teaches us, that our God knows us that well. He knows the very intents of our heart, the very things, what we think, you know, down deep. We don't tell anyone. He knows. Now, to these guys, he's trying to explain to them, guys, I'm going to go die. But if you want to, if you really want to be my follower, you have to deny yourself, pick up your cross, and come follow me. And this last verse of chapter 8, he says, For whoever's ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, he says, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in glory with his angels. Now, just because we have some young kids that are coming to the Lord, it's very exciting in the teen ministry right now and the college study we've started. The, the kids are full of questions about the Lord. Like, how do we know Jesus is coming again? I always say, go to the source. Who taught us that the Messiah would come a second time? Jesus. Now, is he trustable? Is he like, you know, a, a legit authority on spiritual matters? I mean, can we really go with him when he says, you know, it, do you guys remember this in John's gospel in chapter 16? He said, don't let your heart be troubled. In my father's house are many mansions. And I go to prepare a place for you that I might come again to receive you to myself, that where I am, you will be also. When someone says, where'd you get the idea he's coming back? I said, from him. I mean, direct from the horse's mouth, so to speak. I mean, literally, from the Messiah's mouth himself. But this time he says, guys, when I come back, if you, if you deny you know me, I'll deny I know you. But if you confess me before men, what will he do? He'll confess us before the Father. He says, and guys, when I come, he says, the Son of Man will not, will, he says, the one who's ashamed of him, he will also be ashamed of. When he comes, he says, in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. You know, Jesus is coming again. And I know that some people are starting to teach this teaching that's kind of creeping through the Christian churches of America. Like, well, they've been saying that for a long time. Hope, how long has it been when Pastor Chuck used to say, I don't know if we're going to make it to the to 1980. I remember because of all the stuff happening. And then, boy, guys, I don't know if we're going to make it to 1990. You know, I mean, it's been almost a decade and it's just all these signs are happening. It's so exciting, you know. The, the things what the scripture says, we don't know the day or the hour. We just know it says the signs of the times. Now, I'm curious, you know, that now we've come to 2015. I'm sure, I remember when Chuck got to, to, to the new millennium, you know, the, the whole thing of the computers are all going to fail, Y2K and everything. And, and a lot of believers are going, I think Jesus could come back now. You know, Y2K, this could be it. And there's great excitement, you know. And what I find really ironic is that with all the excitement of, of the, well, look at the signs, what wars, rumors of wars, pestilence, famines, earthquakes. Do we have any of those things? You know, a few. Like who felt the earthquake the other day? I, I feel like we're living 
where the signs are increasing. The Bible says, Jesus said, like a woman's pains in the time of her travail, when she's going into labor, so will be how these signs, you know, as a woman gets closer to delivery time, you, the contractions come closer together and stronger, closer and stronger. And, and, and it's just a matter of time. It's just the closer they get pretty soon, it's like, look, they're, they're on top of each other. They're coming. The baby's coming. So it is with the coming of the Lord. These things, these signs, these wars, rumors of wars, nation rising against nation, kingdom against kingdom. Do we have any of that happen? And you know what's interesting is even the geologists that are not godly men are saying, it's as if the earth is ramping up for something. Because this, this geological activity, it's not just, you know, one little shake over there and one little tremor over there. It's like each one is starting to come with a little bit more intensity, a little bit longer duration, like, like the contractions of a woman in labor. And I heard a, a secular geologist say, it's like the earth is ramping up for some big thing. We don't know what it is. I know what it is. The Lord says, I will return. Now, when these signs begin to come to pass, he told us to do one thing. What are we supposed to do? Look up, for our redemption draweth nigh. Guys, we're supposed to look up because the Lord is going to come and redeem us. Now, this is something that I can't quite get aboard some of these, these guys that are teaching these funny teachings today about, about, well, it's been a really long time and it's been so long, I guess we should just give up on the idea. He's probably not coming. You know, I mean, we waited over 2,000 years. Christ isn't here. I don't think it's going to happen. That's like, and I've used this analogy before, but that's like the woman who walks into the, to the room where the boys are. They're all watching the football game. And she looks and says, you know, this game's been going on. They've been cheering all day, man. This thing is, they had pre-show and then interviews and then the game finally kicks off. And, and now, you know, the clock on the, on the game might say it's two minutes and five seconds left on the clock. Now, for you guys know, if it's a good game, that's another 15, 20 minutes at least. But if, if the gal comes in and goes, ah, this game is never going to be over. And you might feel like it's taken all day because it does tend to stretch out. But, but my question is, if it says two minutes and five seconds left on the clock, is this game almost over for us football, you know, the guys who watch? Yes. There's only two minutes and five seconds left to play. We're almost done. It's almost over. We're to coming to the end of the game. And to get the mentality... Yeah, might as well turn it off. This game's never going to end. Any diehard football fan would do that? Never. They'd be like, what are you, an idiot? It's time to, the game is, uh, you don't shut it off now. We've made it through all the games at this point. But yet Christians, they go, well, it's been all these years. We're almost to the end of the, might as well give up, Right. I say, if we thought we were close in 1980, in 1990, and Y2K, 2000, how close are we now? 
and now I'm not saying don't go home and say, Pastor Izzy said, then the Lord's going to come in 2016. But let's just pick that as just a, just, the Lord knows what day, not me. The Father does. Jesus said not even the Son knows, only the Father. He said, so the Father knows. But let's say the Father just, and I'm only doing this for example, okay? Let's say, for example, he really is coming in 2016, January 2016. And you fall for this new teaching that's floating around the churches. Yeah, he hasn't come for a long time. He's probably not going to come. Maybe it was like meant to be an allegory or a type or maybe he's not really coming. And you quit. You turn off the game. I'm not in this game anymore. He ain't coming. I want to strangle you. You're so close. You're like, you almost made it to the end, and then you went, what? You quit now? Don't, don't let your heart grow weary, the Bible says, of well-doing. For in due season, you will reap a reward. Don't give up now. Guys, I don't care if it's 2016, 2060. We are still closer than any other people to date. We are the closest of any generation before us to the coming of the Lord. We should be the most excited. We should be like, the game is almost over. We're there. We're going home, you know. He's coming with his, with his angels, it says, in glory. Amazing Grace Kona thanks you for listening to today's lesson. You can listen to today's lesson or any of the radio lessons on iTunes titled Celebrate the Lord. And if your travels take you to Kailua Kona on the Big Island of Hawaii, come visit us. We meet Sunday mornings, 9 a.m. on the beach at the north end of the old Kona Airport. For more information on Amazing Grace Kona, go to our church website at AmazingGraceKona.com. Amazing Grace Kona is the original Calvary Chapel Kona.
it's just that life 